Retail media is all the rage right now, and the panels at Remade gave us some great insights. But what's the true ROI on your retail media buy? If you're not sure, then Mutinex Growth OS can tell you. Everyone in your marketing, data, and agency teams can use Mutinex Growth OS to compare retail media performance to other channels, measure the impact of external factors like a rate rise on your retail media buy, and put growth at the center of your marketing strategy. Mutinex Growth OS. Your best decisions start here. Learn more at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot C-O. I'm Tim Burrows. Welcome to a special edition of the Unmade Podcast, recorded in Sydney at last week's Remade Retail Media Unmade Conference. The session you're about to hear was our final one of the day when I sat down with some of the biggest players in retail media. Let me tell you about our panellists. First, we have Mike Tyquin, MD of Woolworths Cartology. Mike was in retail media early, helping start Cartology nearly five years ago now. And before that, as many people in this room know, Mike ran some of Australia's biggest outdoor companies. We move along. Next on the Q&A lineup um, is this time around is Teresa April, the founder of retail media platform Brand Crush. Now, last time around, Teresa was was locking down the sale of Brand Crush to Critio uh, right as Remade was taking place. Um, and uh, Teresa came up through the retail and packaging world. Also returning to Remade is Paul Brooks. Brooksy has been leading Coles 360 since early in 2022. Uh, before that, he worked extensively in the media agency world, along with a stint as Nines Director of Sales for Sydney. And then from the brand side of the fence comes Kate Yates, Head of Customer Marketing at Pernod Ricard. Now, Kate's had more than 15 years' experience across, across customer and shopper marketing. That included a long stint with Unilever, where she led relationships uh, with retailers with the likes of Woolworths and pharmacy outlets, and then as Head of Shopper Marketing. So lots of quite diverse backgrounds on the panel. Um, and I think where we'll where we'll we'll start is we you know this is the, the the second time we've run remade and it's six months on from the first one so I think that's a good place to start and I'm going to start at this end of the panel with with you Mike if I can um what's changed over the last six months uh, a lot's changed um, it's the obvious answer Tim but probably unhelpful I think there's probably two two thematics ones around the category and I think we've heard some of it today. We're starting to see the verticalisation of the category. I think the acknowledge the realisation that you know retail media is not this one size fits all. Grocery is very different to a department store. You know we've got another model in our business with Big W, um, specialty retailers, size, scale. Your starting point is critically important. How good is your e-commerce business? How good are your digital platforms? How good your loyalty offer? How big is your, your bricks and mortar network? So the, the, the acknowledgement, I think, from people, you know, it was really fascinating hearing the, the DJ's observations. I felt like I was in some PTSD moment from five years ago. But, um, you know, where you start from becomes critical. But you have to acknowledge it all comes back to customers. And the customers that shop your vertical 
really, I think, do determine what your retail media offer should look like. So that's probably the thing that's emerging really clearly in my mind. The other bookend um, of this is, is customers and what's going on with them at the moment. You know, I can speak for our world of, of um, grocery and everyday needs. You know, the cost of living pressures are just immense. And with the number of conversations we're having with brands, and that's our business, and joining the dots between the Woolworths retail business, you know, the, 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 the business of running a very large you know, grocery and, and everyday needs business, with the brand suppliers, as the rest of Woolworths think about them, what is going with those customers, where are they, how are their behaviours changing, the impact of value just going through the roof, and the job that we can play in helping you know, be a translator in that dynamic around reaching those customers and getting better commercial results through their media. They're probably the two bookends for me over the last six months, Tim. Teresa, I'll come on to you. A lot's changed for you, for you as a business as well as for the wider industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's all related. So what I've seen really change in the past six months has been, you know, the retailer maturity. You know, all the retailers, when retail media kicked off, it was a real focus on on-site. And definitely that's where, you know, our acquirer, um, Credio, you know, they're obviously a really a large, largest player in that, that space with 200 plus um, retailers and they um, have got amazing AI and that's their focus. But what they could see in Brand Crush is that our focus was very much around the omni-channel, that in-store. Um, and not just that, and, and I, I also resonated with the, um, you know, with your, with your talk earlier with David Jones because, you know, all those pain points that retailers feel with that complexity and fragmentation that exists across, you know, your own, your own internal, not even looking at obviously the ability to take it to market, but just trying to translate the internal politics, the, the you know, un the unlocks that you currently have. The reality is, yes, there is a digitisation, but you've got some amazing assets that aren't digital just yet or on the, they're on the journey out. Um, and how do you handle that? Um, so, you know, really for us, yes, it was an exciting opportunity. Um, you know, it was just a kind of a seamless relationship with Critio because, you know, they were very much that on-site and off-site expert. And we were that expert across its store and omni-channel. And obviously the two platforms together work. Um, from our perspective, I think the really important thing, and luckily we're being supported by Critio across this, is, you know, our reason for being is to be able to support um, the retailers own their own ecosystem. And I think that's a key theme that I've been seeing across that retailer maturity is they want to own their own ecosystem. And that includes, you know, how I deal with my relationships between, you know, the merchandising teams, the marketing teams, the retail media teams, how I deal with all my partners, all the different ad techs um, partners, you know, is it, you know, whether it's Critio or Citrus Ad, right, or Promote IQ. And we have customers that have all three of those. Um, so the reality is the retailer wants to own the ecosystem. They want to own it based on their own assets, but they also want to influence those off-site assets, those audiences, because they have this really powerful data. And I think that awakening has definitely happened and that maturity up the curve. I mean, Colin, you had um, a very similar diagram that we have around retailer maturity. And the first step was very much around, you know, that, that on-site monetization. But now it's really about gone beyond that and looking at commerce media as a whole and those shoppable moment, moments across the journey. So I have a feeling we'll, we might drill more into data in yeah. a minute as well. Um, Brooksy, same question to you. Yeah, I come really well prepared to these and I'll listen to the couple of uh, sessions beforehand and I'll try and think of something different now because I think that it, to, it, probably expectation. I think the expectation from the customer, Mike touched upon it, has changed fundamentally in the last six months in terms of the cost of living pressures, uh, uh, availability, 
through sort of long existing supply chain issues, uh, the expectation around choice, the expectation around service. Uh, so from the customer, that has fundamentally changed the expectations around that. The expectations of supply um, partners as retailers move into publisher space and publisher go in the other way. So the expectations are very different. Look around the room around uh, whether you're looking at uh, standardization for measurement, whether you're looking at the impact on uh, sales and a whole host of other stuff that probably reside in all of our businesses. The expectation, I think, um, you touched upon it, Alex, the expectation from sort of your board and your CEO and your CFO and your shareholders around looking to accelerate growth. Uh, and maybe we'll drill down a little bit into that later, but around the reasons why moving into sort of an exciting sector around the growth area, but that expectation, expectation of staff as well, uh, and people internally, um, and uh, stakeholders uh, has really changed. And it's all around, I think it's that expectation and within the world that we operate in is that ecosystem has changed fundamentally in six months. Okay, you're closer to the supplier world, I suppose. What have you seen? Um, I think the comment I would make around that is we've noticed a preparedness in a sense that, you know, from a liquor perspective, we're starting to dip our toe into what does that look like in terms of how our brands show up in a retail media space. Obviously, coming from a Unilever background, I can see the tidal wave of what that looks like when it starts to hit our industry in a, in a bigger way having had that grocery um, experience but you know, we've I can speak from an internal perspective it might be relevant for many of you in the room we're starting to kind of get ready what does that look like in terms of structure internally how are we going to how are we going to structure how we plan and how we go to market and how we work with our our retail partners because if we're not set up internally first and foremost you know you're buggered from the start to be really honest if, if you're not if you're not set up and that plays out even into how you how you plan your investment you know you're having conversations at the moment where if it's it's marketing versus sales and nobody wants to get into that argument right internally you have to treat it as one bucket as steve said it's just it's just another part of your of your of your media network it's not a um, it's not an add-on, right? So for us internally, we've made changes. I mean, my, my shopper marketing team now sits in marketing. We used to sit in commercial. That's a recent change that's been made. Capability, how do you make your, how do you have your people understand how retail media fits into that ecosystem of another media tool? So we're just getting ready, I think would be probably my observation of, of late. Okay, thank you for that. And let's start to try and sort of close the loop on some of the conversations we've heard today. Teresa, I might ask this one of you first. Um, I know, I know that everybody has had the chance to see most of the sessions today. Um, Teresa, what have you heard today that has changed your thinking about where we're going or how we got here? I'm not sure if it's changed our thinking, but I think it's, also, it's a really important um, point because I think it has to accelerate our work. Um, and it was something that Goodman Field, I'm not sure where she is now, she was sitting around there. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned over and over in terms of the way that you look at your audiences, the way that you purchase media. And I think that we have been very much working with, I mean, we, we obviously, Brand Crush is very much retailer-led and, and we're there for the retailer. But, you know, we've all thought about, like, standardising um, the measurement. But we haven't really always thought about the flexibility that our brands need to be able to buy media. And I think that's been the aha moment for me today it's like, oh, we actually need to, you know, we've always looked at it in a certain way, like, okay, you will need to look at your measurement differently because obviously, you know, um, you know, selling bread versus selling politics clothes is two very different channels and you're going to, to do different targeting. 
but actually it's more granular than that and how you actually look to segment um, the way that you look at it. So for some, some brands, location may be really relevant. For others, it's going to be focused on loyalty data. For others, they need to kind of redefine their own audiences and Mosaic can't cut it. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's been the half of me. Brooksy, I'll come to you next. You were in the room for most of it. What, what resonated for you? Um, what resonated is sort of a lot has changed, but a lot hasn't at the same time. And I think that's a reflection of the maturity of the business. And I think we need to remind ourselves, and I said something last year, but we're still relatively nascent in Australia. I know our sort of retail media has existed forever and a day, but in its current form, it's probably been five years at most, probably realistically, it's the last, it's the last two years. So whether you're a business that's been going for five years or six months, or if you look overseas, we've been going for 10 years, there's a lot of similarities in the challenges that um, the sector faces. Um, so what resonates is that there's still, we still need to move a long way. But by the same stage, we can learn from what's happened overseas where we've got mature markets, we've got business, our businesses have been doing this longer, but it's not one size fits all. We are a very, there's a very different set of dynamics and economy, um, Economics, economics, that's easy to say, five, five, two. Uh, the economics in this country versus the US. The US is 330 million people. It's a $170 billion sort of ad market. It's got multiple uh, grocery and merch retailers. They, it hasn't got duopolies in place. It hasn't got sort of businesses that dominate. Uh, so I think the, the, a lot of those are not transferable. So we need to think really cleanly and clearly around what that's about because the reason why a lot of businesses are coming into this at first is for growth. And, but if it's not done properly and it's not set up in a sustainable fashion, it won't be growth for all. So, and from what I can observe, and one of the positive things, you've got a lot of different organisations, whether it be traditional media owners, media agencies, whole co's, retailers turning into publishers, moving into this space. There's not going to be enough growth to go around, and there's definitely going to be a migration and a shift of those advertising dollars. Um, so I think we just need to be mindful of the fact that it's not one size fits all, and there are, there are some challenges out there, and, and they need to be very nuanced, and it needs to be done sustainably. Okay, I'll come to you and then Mike. Same question. Yeah, um, I think that for me, it, an aha, aha moment, I liked the way you said that, um, I, is upskilling. And what I mean by that is um, we'll never move past, and I'm going to take the supply view, of course, first and foremost, but we'll never move past test and learn and dipping our toe into it if we don't get clear on a couple of things. Firstly, how we measure it and speak a language that is... Um, uh, universal, right, amongst us. And I don't mean amongst us as in our businesses. I mean, that's a no-brainer. But I mean between working together as partners with your retail partners, with your with your media agencies, with whoever it is that you're working with, that universal language of how you measure and determine what is success and or equally what are you trying to achieve in the first place. If we don't get clear on that and upskill everybody who is having that conversation at the same time, uh, it will be like you're speaking different languages. And I don't think you'll move past uh, that test and learn phase. That's yeah. a really good point. I think before I ask you to add your own point, Mike, I might ask everyone just to build on that point around breaking out of test and learn first, because I think it's important getting into that. But So I will come to you first on that point, Mike. How do you get beyond test and learn? Uh, that's a really excellent question, Tim. And part of it goes to... Um, 
Well, it's not it's, my No, it's something, something it's Kate's Kate said, question. which is actually, I think, came from Leah's point, and I wasn't here earlier today. Like, I, I reckon we had our first discussion with you, Leah, I'm going to say three, it, feel, it could be three and a half years ago, about you wanting to change the model. I really feel like we're going to need Leah on the question time yeah. on this time and, next well, year. You should do that. Um, because it takes time and it takes a lot of will. You know, like we heard earlier from Alex, like it takes a lot of will inside a, a, re, a retailer to have this foreign body come into it, which is a sale. You know, you're talking about massive B2C buying organisations all of a sudden one day having a, you know, a B2B sales business in it. And it's like, who are these people? Where did they come from? But equally, as Kate's just explained, you know, there's big changes that have got to happen in the operating models, in sponsorship, in mindset, in culture, before you even get to platform and capabilities and skills and all the things Kate said. So th the truth is you have to find willing partners. You both, you both got to be ready if you're going to break out a test and learn to both be able to go together. You, you, you can't, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to say across all the brands we work with, we, we're well beyond test and learn with all of them. We're not. We're beyond, well beyond test and learn with a lot of them and it's all happened at different speeds. So you're really looking for like-minded souls to scale with where they're ready to go and you're ready to go and you're helping them. And I think probably the question I get asked the most um, by brands is, what are the leaders, what are the people who are most progressive with you doing? How are they set up? How are they organised? What skills and capabilities do they, have they actually brought in their business? We've seen whole businesses completely upend their operating model and structure. You know, you've, you've described one change you've yeah. made. We've seen brands completely upend the way they do it. Um, so that's probably my, my answer to that question. Teresa, do you want to build on that point? Yeah, I think there's a lot to, I mean, there's a lot to be learned around the data. And I think we need to look at those data architecture models that are going to continue to learn. Um, because I think that's what it is, there's an abundance of data and, and the test and learn keeps happening because there's no way to, to digest that data and to output it in a way that's going to give you, you know, that understanding of those moments of media impact. And I think once we've got that, that data set, you know, that is going to really help give, be the arsenal that the, these brand, the brands need, the retailers need, um, to, to be able to take them forward beyond that test and learn. And, um, you know, that's going to be looking at measurement beyond just that one-to-one. One-to-one is, it's easy, guys. You click, you, you get the mess, you know, you know what's happening there, right? When you've got that one-to-many, when you have omni-channel and when you then look at promotional pricing on top of that, good luck. That is a holy grail. And that's the challenge there, right? That is the opportunity to look at control stores from both. Do you look at it just from a, you know, location-based control? Do you also look at it from a loyalty data? So I think data is the answer, in all honesty. Paul, thoughts on breaking out from test and learn? Yeah, look, I think there's various sort of test and learn models that you can adopt and set up, you know, a framework of success around that. Um, and I think that's relatively straightforward to do. I think I'll probably touch on a point that Mike made, but answer it in a slightly different way is, but to be able to do that is around understanding and, and thinking about the sector that we're in is in terms of most of the supplier and the clients, and we again, you look think about the taxonomy of the language as well, that's, that's changing. But that businesses are changing in structure and in their way that they can align on a test and learn, um, get behind that, the stakeholder management needs to, the structural changes that need to happen. So uh, it's understanding the infrastructure that they're working in to be able to do that, because many test and learns don't work, and it needs to be a continuous case of test and learn until something does work. Uh, but also internally, with you know big 
sort of proven and legacy retailers and bricks and mortar business, you need to make sure that you've got store operations that are aligned with that. You need to make sure that the merchandise teams are aligned with that and that everybody is behind that test and learn approach. So I think it's making sure that the infrastructure for, and, and partners and anybody else in that ecosystem are set up for success. And I think once you've done that, the test and learn is, re is reasonably straightforward to do. And I think in the sector we're doing, we, we'll be testing and learning for the next five to 10 years continuously as we evolve and change our businesses. Okay, thanks for that. And Mike, just closing the loop, um, something that you heard uh, Keep today, on trying to close the loop. <laughs> <laughs> something that changed your mind, Mike, today. I don't, think, don't think it changed my mind. I think just the, the comment in the last panel about, you know, understanding your role in the flywheel. You know, when, you, when you're putting these businesses together, um, being able to articulate to even that list books you just ran through, all, all the internal stakeholders going, what, what's your role? beyond just writing some revenue and contributing to the bottom line? What's your role in terms of helping customer experience? What's your heart role in terms of helping contribute some sort of attributable value beyond the revenue? What's your role in terms of improving supplier, you know, clients as we think about them, relationships? If you can't articulate that role internally, it's going to be really, really hard for you to pull all the disparate elements together. Um, so it was just, a, I can't remember whether Troy said it or Alex, you said it, but I just think you've got to be able to articulate that that what the why of your business inside in the context of the retail group that you're inside because if you can't do that it's really hard then to join the dots for the brands you work with thank you for that something else i'd like to dwell into which we, we we've sort of touched on a bit um today is around measurement standards um standardization now we've seen in other markets certainly the us where obviously there are a lot more retail media networks already the 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 iab step forward and play a bit of a role in that for instance um what do you want to see happen here in terms of beginning to set down some sort of transferable standards where where do we get to from here and who do you want to be involved in that um whoever wants to brooksy you look like maybe you're ready to lean well, forward i'll take it <laughs> Well, firstly, employ someone to lead it, and he's set up there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think it's brilliant bringing in talent. Like, it's really important we bring in different talent to be able to do that, and bringing in people from different parts of the ecosystem and the industry so they can help understand, uh, interpret, and reapply those back into the business. Um, so talent's very important. I think uh, being part of that conversation at a, a industry level, so the IAB, uh, joining any of those sort of councils and steercoats to make sure that we're influencing. Uh, I think all of those things are really important. The standardisation and the guidelines is a really easy thing to do. The hard bit is still going to happen when, if you can see, like the you know the lots of different businesses that have joined that have got different sets of metrics, different priorities, different standardisation, and the IB is only digital as well. If you think about all the other channels, and we're talking about an omni-channel environment, and digital is a very important part of that, and a um, and a significant part of that. Uh, but all of our channels play a role within that. So what's the standardization look upon uh, from, from that perspective? So I think, I think we've made a good start. I think we've, as in the IAB has adopted what's happened in the US. I think we've got good contribution from uh, ad tech companies, martech companies, retailers, retail medias, clients, suppliers, agencies. So I think you've got the right group of people on there and it's around how you look drive and consistency for best practice. Does anyone else want to come in on that one? I'd, just a comment, and um, Brooksy touched on it. I mean, the, the US context is really different. Um, you know, it's, it's always been a regional media market. I think most people in the room probably understand that, whether it's been TV or radio or, or out of home. 
And there's always been, you know, this challenge for advertisers over there, how do you navigate it and big networks formed sort of 20, 30, 40 years ago. And you've got that in retail, you know, because ex-Amazon and really Walmart, everything's all regional. You've got a business like HEB in Texas, which is as big as Woolworths Group, but they're only in Texas. So if you're, you know, if you're a, you know, if you're PepsiCo who I know in the room, for them to be able to execute nationally is really hard. It's not, you know, sort of two calls, it's 22 calls. So there's this real push in the US to say something needs to happen. We have to bring this together. It's just too hard. So that's the context, I think, for the US piece. The other thing I'd say that's important to understand is, and this is probably where I differ a bit from Steve-O earlier, retail media does have some really quite distinct things going on about it from other media. Retailers have this, you know, this endemic relationship, these 100-year, you know, Woolies well, 100-year-old, you're 100-year-old, you're 100, you're 100 something years old. These relationships are massive and there's already a, a back and forward flow of information and a transparency that goes on commercially that I think most people in media would be frankly shocked about. So we're, I know we're in our business, we're already doing things and, and certainly trying harder to get to a place which is probably more transparent than most people in media would appreciate or understand. Do we have to harmonise and standardise it? Absolutely. So, you know, things like transparency and accountability, do we vote for that? Of course we do, because that's the very nature of our relationship but with the brands that we've worked with for all those years. Well, look, I'm conscious of time. Yeah, so, so it, need, like it to... needs to happen. Um, you know, I think the will is there. We're probably a little bit behind in Australia. There's some different drivers, but, you know, it's an important issue. No, I'd like to, in a moment, to go to questions. Just very quickly, because I can see that Gay Leroy from the, from the IAB, CEO of the IAB is here. Gay, is there anything you can quickly add on what, what role you do see yourself playing locally? Look, I think we'll follow on from the work from the US, but also look at Europe and tailor it for this market um, to the point we are just digital, but we have had experience of trying to roll out standards across audio out of home so collaboration is you know going to be needed um but as the industry grows and more advertisers come in having that general digital play um is going to be important thanks gay well look, i think we probably we may only have time for one or two questions so if you do have something you'd like to ask now is a very good time first hand i see is over there if we can and if you could please tell us who you are and where you're from please Hi, my name's Heather, I'm from PepsiCo. Um, question for Kate, head of Shopper Marketing, so a fellow Shopper Marketer. Um, we've got the same dynamic where our Shopper Marketing team sits as part of our commercial function, so very connected, but my team have both a brand ownership role and a customer role. Um, so I was just understanding, interested to understand what your driver was for that shift, so what was the reason behind it and what do you think sort of the expected uh, ways of working and the benefits would be from having a Shopper team sat within the, the broader marketing function? Yeah, that's no, a great question. Um, we, I'll answer it in a couple of ways. So firstly, I think uh, the benefit from the move is that as, and it's, it's very relevant for what we're talking about here. So as we see the shift of the, what I'm gonna call the more traditional above the line and below the line split of budgets. And ultimately also, if I even ladder it back up, the, uh, objective of why we're doing something in the first place what are we trying to achieve gone are the days now where you talk about it in terms of out of store and in the store and right that's quite archaic now yeah the path to purchase is not linear <laughs> so if you think about it from that perspective as a result of the objective and around what you're doing and how you best achieve that the budget has to change equally as well right so when you start to get into that space where you're talking about it 
there is no sales versus marketing. There is no in-store versus out-of-store. So the benefit we see is that if the customer marketing function is completely embedded in with the brand team, you have a generalist uh, marketing in your brand team, you have specialist marketeers sitting in your customer marketing team, your digital marketing team, that group all together answers that piece I just talked about, like the jungle gym that is the path to purchase. Um, Unique in the sense that because the marketing team that I lead had sat in commercial, you don't lose your, we are, we are fortunate that we won't lose that link back into the commercial and the customer because the risk to answer it, as I said, in two parts, is that you lose customer centricity if you're not careful. So when you pop all your shopper marketing team over into a brand side of things, if you're not completely connected, like hand in glove, back in with your customer team, you, you, that's a risk. So you have to find a way, however that works for your business, to maintain that customer centricity because that's the magic that customer and shopper marketing unlock. Well, you that, don't, I think yeah. we have time for just one more question. Does so I'm sorry to cut you slightly short there, Kate, but that was a great answer. Um, one more question if somebody would like to come in. Otherwise, I have a final one to wrap up if we don't see a hand. Yet yeah, there we go. If, um, it would be wonderful if it was a short question as well. Yes, thanks, Tim. Uh, Matt Hurl from Critio and Brand Crush. Uh, questions to Mike. Um, you know, with Woolies being traditionally a company that's sold and monetized that, that sales data back to their supplier base, what's We don't the... sell data. Okay. We don't sell data. You can't buy data from Woolies. And so uh, companies that are owned by the Woolworths Group, Quotient, for example? I mean, Quadrant. Quadrant, apologies. Yeah. So we, we, we have a quadrant quadrant has a product called checkout, which is not customer which is not customer data. So it's category level sales data, but we Got don't it. sell customer data. And with that uh, with that entity, has there been a discussion internally about the level of reporting that you provide from the ad advertising side of the business versus that side of the business? We've built our own um, reporting platform within Cartologies. So when we started four years ago, we had um, we did have a Quantium platform doing reporting, which was a legacy from the old Media Hub days. Got it. But we run our own reporting. But just to be really clear, I mean, it's a really important issue. Another day, another time. Data breaking, all that sort of stuff. There's a really clear reason why we don't sell customer data. And yeah. That's all in that world, and Tim, we can have a whole October, conference on we'll, that. Um, yeah. Next October, we'll talk Thank again. You. So that, um, it, unfortunately, is where we're, we're, we're going to have to leave it. Please join me in thanking our wonderful panel, Mike, Paul, Teresa, and Kate. Today's podcast was edited by Abe's Audio. We'll be back with more on Monday. Toodle pen. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.